It's inescapable during the month of June. Websites, organizations, companies, and people all across America are eager to openly celebrate inclusion, equality, and love as they show their support for LGBT people and ideologies. In the month of June, there are pride marches, pride rallies, pride events, and pride festivals in major cities all across the U.S. In 1999, the month of June was officially designated by then-President Bill Clinton as Gay and Lesbian Pride Month. From there, a new secular holiday was born. How did we get to a point where celebrating homosexuality and transgenderism became a month-long event that rivals Christmas? The message of tolerance proclaimed by many years ago was that tolerance was the practice of recognizing and respecting others' beliefs and practices without necessarily agreeing or sympathizing. Over the years, the definition of tolerance has changed. It now means the acceptance of different views and fairness towards the people who hold those different views. In other words, tolerance now means that anyone with moral opposition towards certain behaviors or mindsets is by definition intolerant, or even a bigot, or full of hate. And to express moral opposition towards things like Pride Month is classified as hate speech. Meanwhile, as Christians who hold to the biblical worldview, we're conflicted and saddened by the open celebration of something the Bible clearly states is sinful behavior. We love our LGBT friends neighbors, and family members. But our source of ultimate authority, the Bible, clearly defines sexuality differently. How do we show love to many who believe that our understanding of the Christian faith makes us, by definition, bigots and hate mongers? How do we hold to the authority of the Bible in the midst of a culture that demands that we compromise? How do we love our neighbor the way that God has commanded us? In the midst of Pride Month. to the Beards and Bible Podcast. My name is Josh. I'm your host. And my co-host today is actually in Uganda, so he is not with us. But I have a guest co-host today that's filling in, and he's kind of got a beard-ish. I was wondering at first if you had to have a beard to actually be on here. Have you ever had anyone that didn't have a beard? Uh, we've had a couple ladies on here, so yeah. Oh. Yeah, so they didn't have beards. You know, sometimes that, sometimes ladies have beards. Well, that's true, yes. <laughs> that's true. Uh, <laughs> it's unfortunate. Yes. Uh, so my guest today, if you haven't picked up on it, is some is a, is a person I know very well. His name is Corey Trimble. He is the pastor and founder of the Experience Community Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And the Experience Community has four campuses in Middle Tennessee and strongly believes in discipleship and church planning. Corey is connected with Renew.org, Discipleship.org. He is the author of two books. Uh, one book, I think, is is, is really good. It's, it's called, the one you co-wrote. Yes. Yeah, it's, the one, <laughs> it's the one I helped with. Authentic Pursuit, Building a Church from Nothing, and his newest book, which we will talk about today, called An Authentic Experience, which was released last September. Is that right? Yeah. Oddly enough, on my birthday, they didn't even do that on purpose. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah. happy birthday to you. Uh, Corey was born in St. Louis. He now lives in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. He's been married to his wife, uh, Alicia, for 16 years. Is that right? It'll be 17 in October. Man. Yeah. It's crazy. Getting old. And two girls, Aya and Vi. I don't know if I spelled Vi's name right on the show notes. But... Well, they can't see it, so it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did I miss anything on, on your bio? Tell our listeners. No. No, that's pretty much it. You and I have been working together for... Man, ten years? Ten years now. Yeah. That's crazy, man. 
Yes. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, um, 10 years ago, I stepped foot into the experience community here in Murfreesboro. And there was something different about just the culture of our church. <clears throat> we were small, poor. Yeah. <laughs> there was that. You know, we didn't have much of a building. We were small. We were poor. We didn't have hardly anything at all. But uh, the word that really came to mind for my wife and I when we first stepped in, and I think this is one that has really, we, we've maintained it somehow, some way through God's grace, is just authenticity. Yeah. It kind of became a buzzword. Not just here, I mean in church, but I, I I think we can honestly say through all our mistakes that, that we have been genuine, we have been authentic throughout yeah. the years. Yeah. So. Well, and, and I think that um, the church we're a part of is pretty unique as it relates to our topic today. And so our, Very our, much so. Our topic today is, is, is Pride Month and the LGBT community, and of course, as Bible-believing Christians, it tends to be a topic that we are often shy to talk about or we're uncomfortable talking about, but um, how would you describe the experiences community, the experiences community, that makes sense, the experience communities, <laughs> culture and posture towards the LGBT community? Um, it is very unique. It was, I mean, and I'm, it's weird talking about your own book, but that was one of the big drivers for me writing the book was over the years, we somehow found this balance of being inviting to the gay community without relenting on our biblical beliefs on same-sex relationships and gender. Mm. And so at this church, we have a, a remarkable amount of gay people and transgendered people. Uh, but I'm also very, very straightforward about what the Bible says about gender and sexuality. Yeah, And it's, it's this really odd... Um, anomaly that's kind of taken place. But I think that the the thing is, in in the, the the thing that we try to push and challenge other churches with is you can both love people and disagree with them simultaneously. Hmm. But we live in a culture now that says that's impossible that if you disagree with me, you must hate me. Sure. And that is not the case. Yeah. So I have many gay friends that I love and respect and we even hang out and go see movies. Um but they know that I do not agree with their lifestyle. Yeah, that's that's an interesting concept. Um, the way that tolerance has been distorted to mean that unless you agree with someone 100%, you are intolerant. Intolerance has become like synonymous with with hate. Yeah. If I'm intolerant to your action, then then I must I must hate you. And it's just the heck was that? Did you hear that? <laughs> I didn't like hear that. Yeah, there must be like rats a... hanging out. We're we're hanging out together in the studio here at the Jeez, experience. It, well, uh, was, so I don't. It was weird. That was, yeah, so I feel like, like it was right behind just, me too. If a rat so. just comes out and lights on Corey's shoulder, then you'll know what that is. I uh, to ask his opinions on these things too. So, <laughs> hey, so um, if you get a question from someone who asks you, "Is your church affirming?" First of all, what does that phrase affirming mean in the minds of many people, and what would your response to that be? I think the phrase means in the minds of many people that we condone a certain action. Mm -hmm. And so if someone were to say, is our church affirming, I would say, no, we're not an affirming church. But anyone, uh, regardless if it be uh, things that we disagree with, gender-wise, sexual-wise, or um, if you struggle with alcoholism or porn addiction, whatever the case may be, everyone is welcome in here on the weekends. Yeah in the hopes that they will hear truth and it will touch their heart. And, and 
help them to walk a different direction, the direction that Christ wants them to walk in. So no, we're not an affirming church, but I'd say we are a welcoming church for anyone yeah. that wants to come in. So here's I, here's a, like a fascinating thing, and I still don't quite know the answer to that. Why are there so many um, people that would say they are living out a LGBT lifestyle in that community that feel comfortable coming to this church, even as we go chapter by chapter, line by line, whole books of the Bible? We were just in Romans 1. Which is and, pretty straightforward. Yeah. Um, and yet people are still coming back, even though they're hearing this biblical truth. But why is that? I mean... It's so interesting. So I remember, yeah, when we were going through Romans 1, um, there's a lesbian couple that comes to our church and has been for, man, probably five years now, and I've become really good friends with both of them. And it's it's kind of a fascinating thing to see that they keep coming back. Um, I think they come back because, uh, A, I think they're mature people. Um and I think they appreciate how much we do for the community. They appreciate the fact that we do not just laser focus on one thing we disagree with and blow mm. it out of proportion, but but we're we're equal when it comes to addressing what the Bible says. Because I mean, Romans one talks about a lot of sin. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and so most people just pull out the 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 sin of homosexuality from chapter one of Romans, ignoring the fact that they may be gossipers or slanderers or liars or whatever right. the case may be. So I think. I think a mature person um, can come in here and, and say, I I don't agree with everything that pastor's saying, but I appreciate what this church does for the community. I appreciate the worship. I appreciate the the, the word. Um, do, do you think there's a part two where uh, some, some people living that lifestyle appreciate a church that just speaks the truth? And they're just like, man, you guys aren't shy about what you believe. I mean, you're... Yeah, I, I think... I think. So let's even get off the topic of just LGBTQ stuff. So like, I think most mature people, I think a mature atheist who's a decent civil person can have a conversation where we are not going to agree on theology in the afterlife, but they can still be civil and kind and we can still have a cup of coffee and hang out. Yeah. Um, the, the problem, I think and I'm sure we'll get to it, is I think the the narrative that the LGBTQ community has been forced, that the narrative that has been forced on them is is almost this aggressive, militant, do not, do not associate yourself with anyone that does not completely align with how you think. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's the narrative that is pushed on them, but I don't think every gay person subscribes to that narrative. Sure, sure. Do you think that that's like a creation, or not a creation, but a maybe exaggeration of media and oh, of course, to to try to pit people against each other? Where you else know, do we get it from? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, again, throughout the throughout the years, I've had we've had so many gay friends and so many, uh, um, you know, I even wrote about it in the book. I've got a very good uh, transgendered friend that I wrote about how we disagree in the book. And this this person gave me a five star review on the book. Loves me. Said he he loved the book, um, because he's a civil person. Yeah. Well, and I'd also say because you love him. I do love right? him genuinely. And, and, and like you know, we were just in Romans fourteen this past week, or Romans twelve this past week, and uh, the just whole... ready to get done with Romans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what a chapter we in? Yeah, we've been in Romans for a long time. But the whole phrase, "Let love be genuine. Let love be without hypocrisy." Like people can sniff out when you really love them and they can sniff out when you don't. Absolutely. And when we talk about someone that's gay or lesbian or transgendered or bisexual or whatever the case may be, we're talking about human beings. That's right. Heaven or hell. Yeah. 
Yeah. Made in the image and likeness of God. Jesus loves them. Jesus died for them. We're, we're not talking about some distant, far off, you know, you're a label that society has put on you. And we're not talking about winning an argument. That's where we blow it as yes. Christians, is we're more concerned with winning the argument than winning someone's heart to Jesus Christ. Right. We just want to win the argument. Yep. Uh, you you were talking earlier, like, like it, it becomes more of a culture war than it becomes, man, Romans chapter, uh, was that chapter 12 we just did? Yeah. When, when Paul lists off all that stuff, when he starts off with loving without hypocrisy, but, but as he goes through that, that part of chapter 12 is so counter-cultural, um, this, this, this idea of loving without any expectation of a reciprocation of that. Yep. Yep. And so again, I think the narrative pressed onto the LGBT community is that if people don't agree with you, you have to hate, you have to push mm-hmm. back, you have mm-hmm. to fight. And um, because because those people obviously hate you, right? And it can be very disarming for them to meet a Bible believing Christian that disagrees with them but still loves them and treats them with respect. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's rare, unfortunately. Yeah, it is. Uh, so Pride Month is the month of June, mm-hmm. and part of the motivation behind this podcast, I shared this with you the other day. Um, we were making breakfast on Friday morning, and we have Disney Plus for our kids. And my son got the remote, and he was messing around on Disney Plus trying to find a show to watch. And he clicked on an animated special, and he started watching <laughs> us. And I'm uh, making breakfast, and I turn around, and I look, and it's literally an animated uh, short film about a gay man coming out. I think it's actually called Coming Out, I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah, and on Disney Plus, it's advertised, you know, celebrate Pride Month, and... um Man, like, I, obviously, I grabbed the remote from my son, and I'm like, hey, we're not watching that. And he's like, why? I'm like, I'll tell you later. Like, he's five. Yeah. I don't think he's ready for that conversation yet. But it's really hard right now when this is not just, like, sequestered off to gay neighborhoods or um Or even cities. adults, right? Yeah. It, it's not just adults. adults. Yeah. It, it is literally, you go on Google. It's the banner you see on Google. You go into Target. It's Celebrate Pride Month at Target. You go on Disney+. Plus. Uh, there's that rat again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I guess that rat celebrated. Or Austin's too. up in the ceiling, <laughs> playing with us or something. <laughs> Our production uh, the manager. Yeah. So it's all around us. So um, how are we as Christians to feel about that? You know, I it, it, I think a thing that a lot of Christians forget is uh, a lot of Christians forget that we are living in a world that doesn't belong to us right now. Mm. Um, what is it? And in, in, is it in Second Corinthians where uh, Paul says that that Satan is the god of this world temporarily yeah. at this time? So I think we forget that. That's one. I think two. You and I both have kids. Mine are older than yours. Mine are twelve and about to be nine. And we started the conversation about homosexuality and gender and transgenderism. We we started that conversation pretty early on mm-hmm. because uh, you know our our kids, mine and yours, go to uh, Normal public school. Mm-hmm. Um, my oldest goes to one that is pretty liberally charged, uh, and so we just knew that that they were going to come across these things. So we have to catch that beforehand. Yeah, yeah. And so, what age were your girls when you started talking with them about that? I think my oldest, uh, probably about about nine or ten. Okay. And um, but again, you know, your son may be different because now it's it's already getting. There's already exposure to that, so yeah. it may have to be at six or seven that that conversation starts. And and there's one part of that that's that's 
I guess troubling, but there's another part that um, this is the light that God has called us to be in such a dark world. I mean, yeah. this is a... Uh, so I don't think we should run from it or be afraid of it. But what would you say to the parent that listening to this goes, okay? So I know the right answer. You got to, you know, take off Disney Plus from all your TVs. You got to pull them out of public school. You got to keep them sheltered, it. and they can't ever find out about this stuff until much, 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 much later. What uh, would you say to that? I'd say that someone's going to talk to your kids about it before you do, and that's going to be problematic. Yeah. Um. Again, we're 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 in the world, but not of it, and it's. Uh, I feel like so so recently at our church at the at the Murfreesboro campus, um, we've had a lot of talks with the student leadership because we are getting so many kids in now that are not just um, struggling with same sex attraction or the idea of gender or or their own gender issues, but their parents affirm it and will call the church and say we prefer that you call our child this or wow. that they get to pick their pronoun. Oh man! And so what's happening is. Um, a lot of, of God-fearing good parents are bringing their children to church, thinking that there's kind of like this bubble from the world, and mm-hmm. there's there's not. It's gonna We're going to have to deal with those issues somewhere down the line, so I think it would be wise to deal with those things in the comfort of your home, from your mouth to your child, and then when they go and encounter those things that... Yeah, because they're going to encounter it eventually. Man, absolutely. Wh- whether they encounter it from you talking to them about it, when they're nine, ten years old, or whether when they go to college and they're a freshman in college, and and they see it on a level that is far, far, far more perverse and pervasive than what they would get having a conversation with mom. And they're going to be greatly outnumbered by that point as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, we've got to be. Um, is preemptive the right word? I mean, yeah. we've we, yeah. we've got to um, we've got to be a little bit more on the offense than than proactive versus reactionary. Sure, I think. Yeah. Well, I read an article um, by a guy named Joe Carter. He writes for the Gospel Coalition, and the article is called How LGBT Pride Month Became a Religious Holiday. Hmm. It's a fascinating article, and he talks about how the roots of Pride Month extend back to the gay pride marches that began in New York City in 1970 as a commemoration of the Stonewall Riots in Manhattan the previous year. So if you don't know about the Stonewall Riots, you can go back and, and look that up. Basically, it was a, a raid on certain gay bars and response to that in the gay community. And so um, really in the 70s, there was this movement to try to mainstream and normalize what had been kind of considered aberrant behavior for generations before that. And so the whole idea of gay pride was this isn't something to be ashamed of anymore. Mm. We're out. And throughout the 70s and 80s into the 90s, every year it kind of became more and more and more mainstreamed of we're not ashamed of this, this is normal. We're not ashamed of this, this is normal. Until 1999, President Clinton officially designated June as Gay and Lesbian Pride Month. And then President Obama did that again um, from 2009 to 2016. It was considered LGBT uh, LGBT Pride Month. And again, the the SCOTUS ruling in 20... When was that? 2015? I think that happened in the month of June. Yeah, I didn't know that it went as far back as Clinton. I didn't know that. Huh. Yep. But what's interesting is um, there's been a lot of sociologists and uh, people that are kind of in that really strange... It's not really a science, but like the whole gender studies um, type thing that have written basically asking, is gay the new black saying that 
and this is serious. There was a Time Magazine article that said, "Is gay the new black?" It it's compared often to Black History Month, the month of June. I, I would I would think if I were African American, I would be a little offended by that. Well, comparison. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it's not the same. Well, explain that. Unpack that. Um, I, sixty years ago, uh, there weren't fountains set aside just for gay people and everyone else. Right. Um, there wasn't segregation in schools. There wasn't. Uh, I, there weren't lynchings. Um, I'm not to say that there wasn't violence against, that there hasn't been violence against gay people. I, I just, uh, I find the 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 work that the black community has done in the last hmm, sixty years in this country. I, I I don't know. I don't want. I can't speak for the black community right. because I'm not. I'm not a, an African American man, but. Uh, I would find that statement a little a little offensive to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, well, and therein is the I think the house of cards that progressivism has built, hmm. in the sense of um, fighting for equality, fighting for inclusion. If <laughs> if gay is the new black, then being black doesn't matter. If anyone can be any gender they want. Therefore, women's rights doesn't matter as much oh, because man, a man the can logic. Be a woman. You know, I'm, I hope this doesn't. We could do this for hours. Mm-hmm. The logic, if we were to take our faith completely out of this, me having two girls, the thought that one day um, they might be playing soccer up against a six foot three biological male that just identifies and and it is uh, the logic behind all the things we're talking about is is completely gone out the window. Yeah. It's become almost this fantasy world of our creation. It's um, it's it's completely illogical. Yeah. You know what's interesting though, Josh? There are a lot of gay people that agree with what we're saying right now. Oh, absolutely. You, when you get into the logic yeah, thing, there's absolutely. a there's a, a gentleman that comes to church. We had lunch not too long ago. He's he's very openly gay. I've known him for years, ever since college. And we were talking, and I, I straight up asked him, "Tell me about what you think about uh, the, the conversation of gender right now." And he has a degree in science. And he'd be the first one to tell you it's just absolutely preposterous. It's mm. it's illogical. It doesn't work. It's mm. damaging for society. Um, and that's not from the Christian perspective. That's from a logical, humanistic perspective. Yeah. Well, I think really where it starts, and again, this is a Romans 1 discussion, but it really starts with us looking at Almighty Creator God and saying, we think that we've figured this thing called sex out better than you have. The and, arrogance is unbelievable. You created two genders, but I say that there's more. Yeah. And science doesn't matter, and biology doesn't matter. What matters is how I feel. But, but, but isn't that amazing? So, so Paul kind of maybe unknowingly saw that when, when he basically mentioned that there will come a time uh, when, when we will abandon all sense of logic and reason when he talks about yeah. in, in Romans chapter 1. And, and we have come to that place to where it's not only throwing the idea of a God out, but it's the idea of throwing all science out. Yeah. It, it, it's really become extraordinarily, uh, whatever that is behind my head, <laughs> it's become extraordinarily um, extreme, if that's, yeah. that's very redundant. Well, and and the um, the article, this is a fascinating article, you can go look it up, Joe Carter from the Gospel Coalition, he, he writes about how he sees that Gay Pride Month is not just a secular commemoration of a people, but a religious celebration of a belief, the belief that gay is good and that moral opposition to homosexual behavior or transgender theology is inherently bigoted. And so he actually compares it to Advent because, oh, that's because 
Well, no, I mean, he's he's speaking of it from a Christian perspective, but he's saying that when the movement that says someday there is coming a day when this is not considered aberrant behavior no more, oh, and they're looking forward to that coming day when this <clears throat> thing that has been considered by society for a long time is aberrant behavior is someday mainstreamed and is seen as just as normal and just as healthy and just as good as sexuality practiced between a man and a woman in the context yeah, of marriage. But I find what, what's interesting about that is it, is it so if the goal was equality, I think we've reached it. Yeah. I don't think being gay stops you from getting any kind of job, any kind of public office, any kind of... Um, in fact, I would say the pendulum swung to the fact that it's probably very advantageous to be mm. gay. In some places. Right. In most places, I would say. Um, I, I think with most of these movements, and, and this one is not the only one, I think with a lot of new movements... The goal is not equality, but almost a level of superiority. Sure. Um, well, do you think the goal might be to so mainstream LGBT ideology that it scrubs away any sense of moral opposition from the culture to it? Yes. Well, of course. It is It is not just accept me. It is agree with me, and any talk that, that disagrees with me is small-minded, bigoted, hateful. And yep. that's a very extreme, with any conversation, that's a very extreme stance to take. Sure. So when companies and organizations hang up a rainbow flag or celebrate Pride Month, do you think that's genuine or do you think that's pandering? I think when it comes to businesses, I think money is the ultimate driver. I think they are looking to, so there may be some genuine, I think there are some companies that, companies that genuinely, Starbucks genuinely believes in the ideology. Right. And I mean that is a compliment to them, even though I disagree with the ideology. I think theirs is not a monetary thing that they're trying to do. I think they genuinely believe in the ideology. Right. So they they think what they're doing is just as a moral thing. And is a moral thing. Yes. Right. And and so on that level, well, I guess good good for them. Um, I think most companies that do it. I'm a huge St. Louis Cardinals fan, and the St. Louis Cardinals logo this month is rainbow. So the the oh, the man. cardinal is a rainbow. You know, and um. And and that is that is simply just trying to be politically correct. It's trying to get more people to come see ball games. It's selling more merchandise. It's money, man. It's an attempt to do that, but I think there's also a um, large group of people that feel like this stuff is being shoved down their throats. Cancel culture, man. Yeah. If you don't do it, you're done. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And so it's almost like everybody's got to bow the knee and lick the boot of this ideology. And if you don't, if you don't bow the knee and lick the boot, then you're considered a bigot. You're considered intolerant. Absolutely. Um, is moral opposition to that the same thing as bigotry and hate? Well, of course not. I mean, that's I think that's the whole argument that you and I would make about our four churches is this lie that has been told to both sides that disagreement means hatred, and that right. is not the case. Uh, if you can find a person that you completely align with on everything, you've really found something special. Um, I'd say it doesn't happen, but... Just because I disagree with one doesn't mean that I I hate them. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. I don't know what else to say on that. Yeah. Um, that's that's good though. That's real good. Um. So let's talk about biblical sexuality for a second, because somebody listening to this podcast may go, "Okay, Josh and Corey, how can that be bad? Right? Two men love each other. They're committed to each other. Two women love each other. They're committed to each other. 
why would the Bible condemn something that makes someone happy? Love is love. I don't know how many times I've heard that. Um, and how asinine of a statement it is, but it's a it's a very um, it's a very like tenuous statement because yes. anyone can say that without defining what love is. That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, so, and, and you're preparing for this. I just I just kind of jotted this down. Anyone's understanding of sexuality stems from their belief of what holds absolute authority in their life. So is it their physical desires that hold absolute authority? If it's your physical mm-hmm. desires that hold absolute authority, then what your physical desires tell you about sexuality, that's what you should do. Is it your own mindset and ideas? So if I say, love to me is this, that's my mindset, then that's what holds ultimate authority and defines what sexuality is. Mm. For some, it's the popular consensus of the culture at large. Um, in, in other words, as a culture collectively, we determine what is in bounds or out of bounds sexually. And really all of us have some, some ultimate authority in our lives, whether we admit it or we don't. Unfortunately, most of our ultimate authorities, most people's ultimate authority is self. Yes. Yes. Which is, so, so again, you and I were teaching at our, at our different churches, um, Romans chapter 12 this last week. And when the very famous phrase, when, when, Paul says, do not be conformed to, to this age, but be, you know, let your mind be renewed by the Holy Spirit. Um, that conforming to this age, one of the, one of the things that I think that people have done the most, and it may be the most dangerous part is we've conformed to the emotional standard of this age. What that means is we have let our emotions drive our actions versus not just God, but again, logic, reason, right you know, em- empirical evidence, like, like we, we, so we, we have, we have bought into this narrative to not only follow our heart, but if we feel it, if it feels good, right? The old saying, do mm-hmm. it. And, um, and no one can tell you that that's wrong because you feel it. Right. Your feelings are your feelings. Right. And that is extremely dangerous on, on the, on the most practical level. Uh, I used the example this last weekend. Um, my wife and I are married um, I bet it's some course in our 17 years an attractive man has hit on her and she probably felt something for a second. Mm-hmm. This great feeling of affirmation or, wow, this guy's really attractive. But, but if you act on that, that's how you end up in divorce. That's how right. you end up wrecking right, right, a family. Right, right. So you cannot follow that. But we live in a culture that without absence of God, um, we are taught to follow what we feel. Right. So if we feel a certain sexual attraction and desire, our culture says, how can that be wrong? Yeah, and and here's the thing. Um, I bet you're going to ask it. I don't think it is a sin to have an attraction or a feeling. Right. I think it is a sin when we cave into an attraction or feeling that contradicts the Word of God. Yeah. So, man, um, if we're just being normal men, over the years, I mean, there has been an attraction to other women besides my wife, but instead of following that, you, 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 God, take that, capture that thought. Right. Because I love my wife. I love right. my kids. So there comes a point in time in this journey of following Jesus where we say to the Lord, it is not what I want, but it is what you want. And anything that I feel or desire that is outside of what you have said, I got to put that to death. That's right. That takes humility and submission, two very bad words in our culture. Sure. So what the Bible teaches about sex is completely countercultural. Isn't that? Isn't that, <laughs> did you ever think you'd say that? I mean, like, yeah. I mean, so I was doing just some just some research before 
you know, so the Bible teaches, if, if you've never read the Bible before and you're kind of wondering, okay, why is the Bible picking on gay people? Here's what the Bible says, and then we'll just unpack this. The Bible teaches that human sexuality is to be exclusively practiced between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. Yes. That sex is given for two reasons. The first is to perpetrate the human race of so procreation to have babies. And the second is to create an intimate bond between a husband and wife. And anything else outside of the boundaries of God's design and God's plan is considered by Scripture to be a sin. That's right. So that means fornication. Fornication is sex before marriage. And I did some research on that. Anywhere from 75 to 95% of Americans will engage in premarital sex. They say within the church, it's somewhere in the ballpark of only 5% of people that get married as Christians are still virgins. That's right. 5% yep. in the church. Yep. So uh, adultery, 30 to 40% of Americans will commit adultery sometime in their life. So oh the God. Bible is very counterculture in that. Uh, pornography, um, this is a very distressing and sad statistic, but 47% of American families state that pornography is a problem in their home. Hmm. And again, you know, I don't know if you saw it in your research, but a lot of those stats are not dramatically different within the context of the church. No, they're not. No. Um, and, and I think it's interesting how there are many men who despise and hate <laughs> the homosexual agenda, mm. while at the same time they are consistently committing what God says is a sexual sin that is equal to homosexual behavior in the eyes and, of God. And this is where the church is really, again, I, I wouldn't say our church, but I'd say uh, the church as a whole, this is where we've really dropped the balls. We've hyper-focused on the sins that that maybe we don't engage in that make us right. feel uncomfortable while, while we're very... Um, we're very reluctant to, to focus on the evil that is in us. Yep. Yep. And, um, you know, it's interesting. So I think the Bible blatantly talks about homosexuality about six times. Of course, it talks about gender many more times. It talks about marriage. It talks about, you know, the sexual parameters a lot of times. But homosexuality is clearly talked about, but not a ton in the Bible. Yeah. There's six like you said, six verses. I think there's six, yeah. three old, three new, if yep. I can remember correctly. Yeah, but I got it in front of me. Yeah, three old, no, three new. So, um, so it's not like, I don't think the Bible mm -hmm. is going out of its way to pick on that particular sin. Mm -hmm. I think it mentions it as sin, identifies it as that, says that it shouldn't be engaged in. Right. But man, if the Bible's really picking on stuff, yeah, premarital sex, sex outside of extramarital sex. Right, right. Man, gossiping, lying, it talks about these things a ton more. Right, right. So, and interestingly enough, even while, if you just pay attention to what's going on in culture, one would come away with the belief that 50% um, of the culture is gay based on what we see in Pride Month, but Was it like less than a percent or something? Three to 5%. Three to five, that's higher than I thought. But that is anyone who identifies as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. So, and and here's the, here's the crazy part. Um... 97% of the country is not those things. I would even argue that some of that 3% is doing it simply because of it is extremely in vogue now for a 12-year-old to say, Absolutely, I don't know man. what I am. Hey, so I had a a uh, lady at our Next Steps class, our next class that mm -hmm. came on Monday night. She's new to the church, and she was telling me she's a teacher in our community, you know, small southern town, and she teaches seventh grade. And she said, it is very popular for the seventh grade girls to say, oh, I think I'm bi, or oh, I think I'm a lesbian. 
And she's like, they're not really lesbian. They're not really bi, but they're saying that they are because that gives them a sense of identity and it gives them attention. Well, and some influencer on Instagram said it. So, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's crazy that, that that number almost is, like you said, almost inflated because there's a lot of people that are going, man, I, I find a lot of acceptance and identity in this movement that tells me I'm special and I'm different and everybody's supposed to accept me in that. Well, because culture has made it almost heroic. A hundred percent. So like, I mean, when we, when we literally give awards, uh, to people who are, who are transgendered simply because they're transgendered, um, what was it a couple of years ago when, um, uh, it's not Bruce Jenner anymore. Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn yeah. Jenner got the, the ESPY award when one of the people that he was going up against was a, uh, I think she was a volleyball player that was killed in action serving for her country. Yeah. And so he gets the SB award because he's transgendered, and that was considered, this is the most heroic yeah. thing. And then um, a woman who was actually dying for her country did not. Yeah. Uh, so I think when when people see that, wow, I am, I am unique. Mm-hmm. I'm special. And um, sorry. No, yeah, I, it's a, it's very strange. I think what we've done with it, but like we've said, there's three Old Testament prohibitions against homosexual behavior. There's three New Testament prohibitions against homosexual behavior. But somebody listening to this might say, "Okay, Josh, Corey, the Bible says homosexuality is a sin, but I can't help how I feel. I didn't ask to be attracted to the same sex. So how can God judge me for a sin that I can't help?" I didn't ask to have a bad temper when I was younger. I didn't ask to um, be attracted to uh, other people that, you know, isn't my wife. I'm not saying I have a problem with that, but I'm saying, you know, I don't think anyone asks for that or looks right. for that. Um, I think we live in a world that is is full of sin. Um, we, we are always going to have feelings that are contradictory. Again, feelings are not sinful. Right. I think it is acting on those feelings that are sinful. It goes back to what you said, though. The question is, do you and I, or anyone listening to this, do we strive to submit to God more than we submit to ourselves? Ourselves. Yeah. That really is where it lands. Yeah. So when someone tries to explain away the verses that speak to homosexual behavior as being sinful, mm-hmm. and there's many that do it. Oh, so yeah. if you go on the internet and you type in gay affirming church Nashville, there's the, a bunch of them. The community we're in. I mean, there's a bunch, and they've played these very interesting games with Scripture to try to explain away, well, this isn't what that's talking about. Why doesn't that work, and how do people do that? Well, man, I guess why doesn't it work? I mean, it doesn't work because, again, you have six very clear instances in the Bible. Um, I think you and I were talking about it once before. Like, when you talk about majors and minors in the Bible— a good way to establish if if something is a major um, kind of doctrinal stance uh, or theological stance with God is if it's if it's consistent throughout the Old and New Testament, right? And so you have something that is very consistent throughout the Old and New Testament, and um, and so I, it is it is I, I've never understood how if someone can claim to be a Bible believing Christian, which maybe maybe I just answered my own question there, right? Yeah. If, if one claims to be a Bible-believing Christian, how they can affirm something that the Bible is so clear about yeah. that is wrong. But maybe the answer to, to what we're saying right now is They're there's a lot Bible of quote-unquote <laughs> yes, there's a lot of quote unquote yeah. Christians that do not believe the Bible is infallible. Which is so interesting to me because anytime I start having those 
discussions and somebody says, well, I'm a Christian, but I believe the Bible is full of errors, or I believe the Bible has a lot of stuff that was written only for those people on that day. And the question I always have is, okay, by, by whose standard are you uh, following to submit your life to King Jesus? And by what standard are you a Christian if you don't follow the word? Right. Right. And, and, and here's like a new, and maybe we do a whole nother episode on this, because this is like this new movement of the universal Christ. We talked a little bit about it in the Enneagram episode, but it's making traction, man. It's making waves. How many hate mail did you, how much hate mail did you get for the Enneagram episode? <laughs> I'm not going to say it on air, but uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's just say the essential oil crowd was a big fan of that one. But, but you know so. what's interesting? It goes back to the, almost to the same spirit a little bit. Yeah. There is this, there is this lack of identity. Yeah. And so we are trying to find, we live in a society and a culture. So the Enneagram one connects, I think, with this in a certain respect that everyone is trying to find what makes them special. Mm. And we miss the fact that God is saying, I make you special. Yes. I make you special. Yes. I am your identity. I am your identity. Yeah. There is there is no fingerprint like yours, no amount of hairs on your head that is exact to anyone else's. Like it is but and and the Christian should know better mm-hmm. than to get sucked into these identity traps, and I think the LGBT movement has has become more than just accept me. It has become it's become a complete identity definer yes. for a lot of people, yes. and that is really if you want to get down to the to the very core of of all of this, it is it is what we find our identity in. Mm-hmm. And you said it at the beginning. It, it what we believe in will shape kind of everything we do. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you a loaded question. Maybe we don't know because God is God. But why does God prohibit homosexuality? That, why why doesn't He want people to just be happy? That that's what some have asked me before. Okay, so Bible says it's a sin. Why is this a sin? Well, I think I, this is maybe a horrible example. Um, I've had that asked, of course, a lot too. I'm looking, and we're we're in the studio here at at the church. There's artwork on the wall. Um, so imagine if one walked into a beautiful art gallery and uh, there was a Van Gogh or a Picasso or a Piet Mondrian or whatever the case may be, whoever the great artist is, a, a Chagall painting on the wall. And um, we walk up to the to to the artist's creation and flip it upside down and say, I prefer it that way. Hmm. What an arrogant statement to say to the creator of that art piece, I think it functions in this way. Um when Paul said, how dare the, the clay look up to the potter and say, why'd you, why'd you make me this way? Mm-hmm. I think there is this very um, deep lack of respect when we say, I think it should be this way. So I think that's one of the problems is, why does God prohibit it? Because God biologically made man and woman to work in a certain way. Again, like you, you already said it, not just to, the greatest thing you and I can do, Josh, is create children. That is the yep. most godlike you and I can be. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that if there are people out there listening to this that, that can't have kids that that are single, that they're they're not made into the image of God as well. But the gift of us creating life is the greatest mm-hmm. thing that I think you and I can yep. do. So I think God God biologically made us a certain way, and it's offensive to the creator to say that the creation was done wrong. Right. Um I also, if you man, boy, this is a touchy one. Uh I think the cultural effects of sexual deviance do more damage than anything else, and God knows this. Hmm. Um, and so I'm not saying every gay couple has dysfunction, 
but we have been, my wife and I have, have had a, spent a lot of time with a lot of gay people. And there is a, a level of promiscuity in that culture. Yes. There is that a level. It never gets talked about, by the way. It doesn't. And, and there is a level of, of rebellion and arrogance. We're just going there. There's a level of materialism. There's a level of um, all kinds of, of kind of uh, hyper sin in those yeah. cultures. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with well, that. Well, and I think that, I think, no, that's good because I think there's a cultural narrative that says two men that are adopting a child and living together as a domestic, as a picture of domestic bliss, that is no different than a man and a woman that have children naturally and they live together. But statistically speaking, monogamy amongst gay men is nowhere near what you see. Not to say that same-sex or same-sex couples are all that way, and they no. But but it's almost, and this is again, it never gets talked about. But kind of the dark and ugly side of it is, there is many gay men that live in open relationships. Yes, and and the level of promiscuity is in a level that is not. I mean, that would be considered by anybody, if you know, heterosexual couple or same-sex couple, sexual deviance. Yes. So it's not this picture of domestic bliss and monogamy that, that it it really isn't. Now, not to say that that's not that way. It is actually higher in lesbian couples. Monogamy is much higher in lesbian couples. Yes. But in the same sense, I think that the purpose of sexuality is to create in us a desire to turn away from ourselves and turn towards our spouse. Yes. And to give to our spouse and to love our spouse and to be selfless towards our spouse. And that very act creates life that then creates in us more selflessness. Well, and, 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 and so the marriage on this earth is the closest uh, kind of representation of what our eternity with God is going to be. Yeah. And so the idea of a man and a woman being devoted to each other, this idea of marriage where there is creation, everything you just said... Um, that's our closest kind of physical representation of heaven on yeah. earth. And Christ again, that's, and his bride, the church. Yes. And that's, yeah. again, that's nothing against single people or people that aren't married or can't have children, any of that. But um, the institution of marriage, it's the first thing God really put together. Yeah. Yep. So anyways. Yeah, no, that's all good. Well, let's talk about your book for a second. So you wrote a book, and your book is about being loving, welcoming, and engaging to all types of people while still holding strong to biblical integrity. So how does that work with our LGBT neighbors and friends? I know we've touched on that briefly, but talk about your book for a little bit, how you, how you spoke to that. Well, I mean, there's, there's a, a, a whole part about a transgendered friend of mine um, and how, you know, when he was going through that transition, uh, he would consider himself a woman. Now, I, I still use the pronoun he, I don't mean that out of disrespect. I just, I've, i knew him longer as a man. Yeah. Um, but, uh, walked with him through that and, and it didn't go the way that I wanted it to go, but I still loved him and we still kept in touch. We still keep in touch and, um, deeply care for him. Uh, that's in there. There's a story in the book about uh, a very good gay friend of mine that, um, actually grew up in a Christian home and, and was treated very poorly and, abused and, and, um, is married to a man now, but consider him a very good friend. We go watch movies together and very comfortable around him. And he knows exactly how I feel about his lifestyle and, and the fact that he's married to another man and all that. But, um, again, the whole premise of the book is 
is that A, you don't need to be afraid of anybody. If you're listening to this and you're a Christian, mm-hmm. you don't need to be afraid of anybody. And, and quite honestly, f- for any Christians that are listening to this, you don't need to be offended by everyone either. Wow. We have all... You, you need to say that again for the people in the back. Yeah. We, <laughs> we, we, we live, Christians live in such a spirit of offense to where we're so... We, we expect non-Christians to act like Christians, and yes. that is foolishness. Yes. Until they know Christ, we cannot hold them to the standard of Christ. Yeah. So your, your, your job as a Christian is not to uh, put condemnation on non-believers. Your, your job as a Christian is to introduce them to Jesus. Yeah. I heard Cy Rogers say one time, who lived a gay lifestyle and then got married to a, a woman, and, and he passed away last year, which was mm, sad. But yeah. Great writer, great speaker. Great, great author, great speaker. Cy Rogers said, the goal is not to turn gay people straight. The goal is to turn gay people to Jesus. Wow. And and that's our goal as people. Yeah. It's not to convert everyone's sexual struggles. It is to it is to turn them to Christ and let Christ work on their heart. Yeah. But the only way to do that is if we love people, if we're willing to have conversations with people, if we're willing to listen. Um my good friend that I I wrote about in the book and I got to be careful cuz I don't want anyone to ever know who I'm talking about, but we rode around one night in my car, he and I just driving around talking. And um, again, married to a man, uh, when he started to tell me that he started to get sexually abused when he was a child by his uncle, hmm. you start to then say, well, of course, I, I still don't agree with what he's doing, but now I see where the root is. Right, right. But you'll never have that empathy unless you talk to people and care for them. So yeah. the whole premise of the book, and it's not just about sexual things, it's about just with anyone different from you, that yeah. we can both love and hold on to biblical integrity simultaneously. And, and everybody has a story. Everyone. And everybody has, um, you know, a way that God has crafted them and created them to be unique and given them a unique personality. And there's a way in which if we do what Romans 12 has called us to do, we love without hypocrisy, we can connect with them somehow, some way. Even if we think, man, there is literally nothing I have in common with this person. I bet there is something. And one of the most helpful parts of the book is you talk about how there's this wheel of culture. Talk about that for a second. I thought oh, that was I so mean, I, I wish I could say I created it. I didn't. It was an organization in D.C. called NMAC that is a secular organization. They deal with uh, minorities with AIDS. Hmm. So they go into uh, not just black neighborhoods, but Hispanic, Asian, um, all kinds of different neighborhoods with minorities, and they have a wheel of different conversation starters, basically, and that can be food, location, you know, uh, where you're from, what you're into, and it's just basically a tool to start talking with people. Right. And man, it works so well in the Christian world. It can be something as, you and I talk all the time, we we wear band shirts, you're wearing a Pixie shirt the other day when we were having lunch, and, you know, the Pixies are not a Christian band, but... <laughs> uh, uh, but when you walk into a restaurant and someone sees your Pixie shirt and they're like, dude, you like the Pixies? Yeah. And then if you're aware, over time, that conversation will turn to, it'll eventually inevitably turn to, to what you believe. Yeah, absolutely. So, But being willing to be interrupted and have those conversations, I think is where it starts. Man, we miss it, don't we? And in ministry, yeah. you and I, I miss it a lot. We're so busy doing our job as pastors that Sometimes we forget just to stop and say hi to people. Well, I'll say this about you. I'll brag on you for a second. Um, Ten years ago, when you and I first started doing ministry together, Mm -hmm. I am naturally introverted. A lot of people don't think that about me because they're like, man, you're you're talking on on stages and stuff, you know. But I I naturally, man, if I'm going to get a cup of coffee at a coffee shop or going to the grocery store, 
I kind of don't want to be bothered or interrupted. Sure. But when we started working together 10 years ago, we would go to a Starbucks, the same Starbucks every day. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, man, like I would just watch you have these intentional conversations with the baristas. I would watch you have these intentional conversations with the people sitting at the tables next to you. Yeah. And I would watch how those conversations developed because you would go to the same place day after day, week after week, and relationships got formed there. Yeah. People from that Starbucks started coming to our church. People oh, yeah. from that Starbucks got baptized, got, gave mm-hmm. their life to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how that started. And I learned that from you. I don't do that well now. I don't do it as well as you do. But Well, they don't um, have any Starbucks in Woodbury. So <laughs> that's true. We got a Hardee's, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, I think that's where it starts of like, you see somebody sitting next to you and, and okay, they might be gay. They might be lesbian. They might be transgender, but they're still a human being. Yes, and you should love them and care about them, and and their gay lifestyle is uh, no worse than um, that Christian in the pew next to you that's struggling with porn. So yeah, yeah. So kind of last question before we wrap up: Have you ever seen someone in an LGBT lifestyle come to Christ and get out of that lifestyle? And how do you walk with somebody through that? Uh, without giving names because it's not our story to tell, and I know you know this. We have several that work at the church. Yeah, that have come out of that lifestyle. Um, I've seen a lot of people come out of the lifestyle right before COVID. The last three people I baptized right before COVID got real. We had just shut down, but um, we we did uh, a very intimate baptism service with some people. Were three lesbians, three women that came out of lesbian relationships. Two of them were were. They had bought a house together. They weren't married, but had lived together for four years. Yeah. Ended up selling their house, and um, they both come to church still. They they have separated. Wow. Um, one of them leads a small group and and uh, volunteers for a nonprofit here in town. Wow. And so, yeah, we've actually seen it quite a bit. Uh, I will say this: just because someone is saved, um, there are a lot of people that I know that have been saved from acting out that lifestyle. But their desires and their attractions have never changed. Yeah. Some of them. So they still struggle with those feelings of same sex attraction. And they probably will until the day they die. But yeah. but going back to something you said earlier, at the end of the day, their goal is to honor Jesus more than it is to please their desires. Right. So that is their cross to bear and they do it. And um we'll probably be mowing their yard in heaven. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I think it's interesting too. Um Rosaria Butterfield, uh a genius. She man, her testimony is incredible. But yes, she was a very um, staunch into lesbian ideology. Mm-hmm. She uh, taught at a very liberal um, institution, higher learning, yep. in a very liberal city. And she started going to a church where the pastor was Bible believing and did not compromise biblical ideals. And for years, she sat under his teaching. Yep. And she would come to him with a question of sexuality. And he always returned to the Lordship of Jesus. Hmm. That's always where he went. And she would write, and I'm totally paraphrasing, um, but basically she said, the issue was not my sexuality. The issue was who I was submitting to as Lord of my life. And it wasn't Jesus. It was my own desires. That's it. And so I just think that's a fascinating thing. We always start, it seems, with the wrong thing. I agree. We start with the behavior instead of the posture of the heart. And again, if I if I could say kind of my last statement, I think that's the thing here is um, we've got we've all got to settle in our minds if we claim to be Christians that the Bible is the Word of God, it is correct, it is perfect. 
we need to establish that. And once we do, though, we also have to establish that, like we talked about in Romans 12, that we are to outdo each other with honor, mm. that we are to love others, that we are to take that that grace and mercy that God has distributed to us, and that we are to apply as as much as we as much as we are able to, because we're not God, but as much as we are able to to distribute that that same kind of love and grace and and, and mercy on even even whatever the least of these is in our minds. Yeah, that we are to love them and um, open up that door. Doesn't mean they're going to accept it. Yeah, but we are to hold the door open for them. Yeah. So in Pride Month, our responsibility as Christians is, regardless of what the culture says around us, we stay true to what the Bible tells us about the purpose of human sexuality, but at the same time, we keep our eyes open to our friends, our neighbors, our family members that may be in that lifestyle, and we love them as human beings, Yes, and we don't see our own sin as somehow less than their sin. That's right. And we love them in order to introduce them to Jesus. It's good. Yeah, I just thought of that it's on the fly. It's an okay so. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, true story. Have you ever listened to an episode of Beards of Bible? You, yeah, uh, yeah, and I've sh- I share them. They're really good. Um, oh, thanks, man. I you're a big podcaster. I'm I've never been a big podcaster. Yeah, I think because I have to really. I you like listen to podcasts when you mow the yard and stuff, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And audible books too. Yeah. I have to be in the car where it's just me, and it has to be like a long drive because I I get so uh, sidetracked. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, podcasts are hard for me, but no, this oh, is a, good a lot one. of good ones out there. Besides, besides just the the B and B part podcast, beards and Bible. Josh is trying to be the next Joe Rogan. <laughs> he's, he's working towards it. <laughs> We're not actually. Yeah, I was gonna make a joke about us smoking weed together like Elon Musk no, and should, Joe Rogan, but that's not true. Deeply inappropriate. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been an awesome, awesome conversation, Corey. Thank you for being on, man. Yes. Appreciate you. Love you. Love you too, man. Appreciate your ministry and you mentoring me and discipling me and giving me a shot. So yeah, well, whatever. Thanks. All right. Well, everybody, uh, thanks for listening. And, uh, you guys be praying for Gabe. He is flying back from Uganda. I think he's boarding a plane as we speak. So he should be home probably next 50 hours. So (laughs) (laughs) wish him him safe travels. Yeah. It's a pretty terrible flight, but, uh, all right. Thanks for listening. See you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.